happy birthday, Lifespring. Happy anniversary. Happy birthdayversary. Happy we say that. Uh, we're uh, so excited to be able to celebrate that together. Thank you. And uh, 11 years ago to this day, we celebrated our, um, our 101010. It was our official grand opening of Lifespring Community Church. And, uh, but for my family and I, we actually came out a year earlier. So it's been 12 years for us uh, since uh, Asha and I and our four children came out um, just without a whole lot uh, of anything. And uh, we'd been called by Lakeland Church to, to come and, and help plant a church and started, started appointment and everything. But I am about God and, uh, and moved to a, uh, several different places, even in Oak. Uh, now... I want to say this, there have been many people along our path, and we could name them, that God has put to help grow this church. We're so grateful uh, for every one of them. But I want to testify that church planting's hard, um, and, and actually uh, every, there are many things that have been difficult along the way, but God has been gracious through this. We might plant, we might water, but God makes things grow. And so I just want to, as, as, we're, uh, as we're celebrating this time, I want to give thanks to God. So would you join me in just uh, thanking God for the, what he's done here? Yes, clapping and then prayer. Uh, Father, what a friend we do have in Jesus. East to west, our sins are gone. Praise be to God, our Father, for his infinite love and to Jesus for his sacrifice. Thanks be to God for sending his spirit to abide in us. We lift up your name, and gratitude, and pray for your kingdom to be established on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to see ourselves as citizens of heaven, living as sojourners here on earth, with your praises on our tongues, feet ready to share the good news about Jesus. And we pray that your name would be hallowed throughout the earth, in this nation. We, we pray for a deep and abiding repentance from acts that lead to death. Our nation has sinned against you, O God. There are many people in this country who love you, but as a nation we are guilty of violence, racism, abortion, infanticide. We have called what is good evil and what is evil good, perverting justice and obscuring the truth, and of this we freely confess and repent. We pray for godly government at our national, state, and local levels. We pray that you turn the hearts of our leaders to you. And even as we pray for these leaders, God, we know that you are the one over all things. Your kingdom is unshakable. Help us to live with that in mind, that we would not become anxious over our current circumstances. Jesus did not despair, even with the cross before him. Help us to have the mind and heart of Jesus, trusting in him. We pray for the children among us. Pray that they would grow to be godly adults, that you bless our teens, help them to make that transition into adulthood well. And we pray as we open your word that you would speak to our hearts. Your servants are listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I can't, I can't let this go without a, uh, a place to gather update, and, and uh, so we're going to go ahead and, and, uh, and start that right now. Uh, today's place to gather update has more to do with people than a place. I went out to the building yesterday and saw an army of volunteers. If you were one of them, I want to thank you for that. Inside the building, data wiring is being strung, drywall is going up, uh, thanks to some Hispanic brothers who wanted me to know that they're Christians, and the Spanish music that we hear coming out of the building is Christian music. 
outside, the building's getting painted. Uh, rocks and debris are being picked up. Lights are going up in the parking lot. Dirt's being moved around. And I didn't cover everything or capture everyone. But I want to say thank you for pitching in. This is crunch time. We hope to gain occupancy before Thanksgiving uh, because uh, our lease on this current facility is uh, able to without the... So uh, what I have seen is uh, the family of God pitching in and God's gracious provision all along the way. Thank you again. Now, we're going to make a transition here to uh, the book of Hebrews. And this is a really tall here. How do we get this down? All right. Maybe not. There we go. All right. So uh, we're in the book of Hebrews. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, you might be tired of me saying this, uh, but Hebrews is a New Testament book in the Bible that speaks about the Old Testament. It helps us to understand how things work together. It is a book with rich promises of Scripture. It is a book that helps us to know what uh, the, the importance of Christ, that Christ is better than all other things. <clears throat> now, also, if you've been with us, you might have known that I have asked some of us, I've asked all of us, some of us have done it, uh, to memorize Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I will tell you this. When you memorize Scripture, um, if you're younger, your brain is elastic and it's easier for you to memorize. And that's what the older people uh, say, hey, it's so much easier for them. But guess what? When you're older and you memorize, it helps to keep your mind elastic and help to, you know, there, there's really no excuse for any of us not memorizing Scripture. There's very good reason at every age to memorize this. So if you haven't yet, uh, I encourage you to memorize Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. And if you have it uh, readily available to you, either on your, in your Bible or in your mind, uh, just go ahead and repeat with me. Now, faith is the confidence and what we hope for, and the assurance about what we do not see. Are you getting the words up there? It's okay, give them the words. Let's, let's try this again. It's kind of quiet around here. There we go. Now, faith is the confidence and what we hope for, and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed out of what it's not, what did I get that? Yeah. At God's command, so that what is seen is not made out of Okay, all right, so I messed it up a little bit. <laughs> and it is harder if you come up here. A couple of you have done that. You've come up here and you've, you've recited a verse. As soon as you turn around and face the lights and see a bunch of people, it's, uh, so thank you for doing that. This is fantastic stuff. Faith is the confidence and what we've hoped for, the assurance about what we do not see. This is what people in the past were committed for, and this is the worldview that we have as Christians. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. It's our worldview. It's the basis for, for why we're here. So I, I encourage you, work, work on that. And uh, <clears throat> I hate to tell you, but today we're graduating. Uh, so we're moving beyond Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and we're going to go to another passage of Scripture. Today, we're speaking on it, Hebrews 12. Now, the memorization passage, I believe, is just 1 through 2, uh, but we're, we're actually doing Hebrews 
12, 1 through 3 today. And that passage, so this is our second reading, I'm going to read this to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race with perseverance marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's our passage today. And I don't believe that it's a coincidence that today on our 11th anniversary, our 11th birthday, that we would receive a text that encourages us to persevere and run the race well. So let me ask you, do you like running? Anybody? You can raise your hand on this one. Do you like running? What? One hand? Two? A few, a few sheepish ones that are halfway up. All right, so a, a few of you like running. Um, and let me ask you this. Now, picture your life as a race. What kind of race would it be? If, if your life was a race, would it be like the hamster on the hamster wheel or the person running around the track? Would it be like a sprint? Would it be like a long-distance race or uh, maybe a long-distance race with obstacles? Just you know, think about that in your mind. I'm a runner, I, I confess, I, you know, and I'm not repenting of it either. Um, I ran track in high school. I ran cross-country and track in, in, uh, in college. And uh, now I run, I just run slower. Um, not everyone likes to run. My friend Corey here uh, tells me that my sport is actually every other sport's punishment. Um, <laughs> now, you might not think of yourself as a runner, but you actually are. Uh, you might be in denial, but you are a runner. Our passage today speaks of a race that all of us are running. We were entered into this race at conception, and it will not be completed until our death or the Lord's return. Of course, this is the race of life, and the title of this message is to run the race well from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And my hope is not only that we would be strengthened in our faith, but that the words of Scripture here would affect our plans for today and tomorrow and for, for years to come. I know that's a, that's a big thing to ask. I'm going to ask one more thing, too. My hope is that all of us would take this passage. Now, do you guys have it? It's in your bulletin. Anybody, everybody have a bulletin? All right, take it out. Take your bulletin out. Find this blue card. Now, if, if you're online right now, I know you don't have a blue card, but you probably have a Bible. Find Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and uh, you can copy it down. It'll help you in your memorization. And all of you take your blue card out, and uh, I think it's perforated. We can just tear it right now. Wow, it's a little hard to tear, but if you fold it a couple times, it works. And then take this right now. Can you hold it up? Anybody have this? Okay, I've got a few up. Okay. Now... I want you to do one of two things. I want you to commit right now to either um, sticking this in your mouth, chewing it up, and swallowing it, 
or to memorizing it. And you pick. Um, so if you, would, if you would take this, and I, I'm going to encourage you to memorize it. It's just much less painful and more beneficial. But, um, but memorize this. Take this and memorize it. All right, so that's, um, you're like, why are you talking if I'm just supposed to memorize a passage? Um, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to unpack this passage a little bit. And uh, let me say, it's, it's an easier passage to understand than it is to follow. It's easier for us to understand this passage than it is to obey it. Uh, but there are two main instructions in this short but powerful passage, and it talks about what to get rid of and where to keep our eyes. Very simple. What to get rid of, where to keep our eyes. So let's talk about what we are supposed to get rid of as Christians in order to run the race well. What do we need to get rid of? Uh, in the beginning it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, number one, everything that hinders, and number two, sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race of perseverance. Marked out for us. Now, I probably don't need to tell you this, but if you are running, now if you were going to run, now I know most of you don't like running. That's, we've established that here. But if you were going to run, would you want to take a bunch of stuff with you on that run? You don't want to take any... I would try to shoes and the, made out of some kind of breezy have to. I'm highly concerned about is my... And my shoe loosens up. And actually, I just saw a cross-country race, and some of the runners came in without shoes. It's because their shoes were not tied properly. They loosen up, they loosen up, they loosen up. Finally, you're like, it's easier to run without that shoe than to run with it, and it goes. That is, if you're running out here in the Midwest. If you're running out in the West where I ran, you don't do that. You try to keep that thing on at all costs because there's sticks and branches and stones and hills and all sorts of things that you don't want to step on. But here's the deal. Uh, this, this is free, Okay. If you go running and you want to keep your laces tied, you just take that loop of a lace and you kind of tuck it underneath the, the tighter tied lace, it will never come undone, promise you. Um, but we're not talking about, of course, the actual active act of running. We're talking about the race of life. And so there are two categories of things that we need to get rid of. Things that hinder, that are not sin, but they hinder or they weigh us down, they keep us, they, they make it harder to run, but we wouldn't call them sin. It's a really helpful category because sometimes we call things sin that are not sin, but they're just unhelpful in running the race well as a Christian. And then there's other, this other category of sin. Let me define that as something that is missing the mark. If God established what's right and wrong, somehow somebody's got to establish what's right and wrong, and the problem in the world right now is everybody's trying to establish it, and if everybody has a different standard of what's right and wrong, how in the world do we interact? But we say that God establishes what is right and wrong, and veering from that is sin. It's missing the mark. It's doing what we're not supposed to do. So those are the two categories. Well, uh, let's talk about the first category, uh, what hinders. In the days and the culture the author of Hebrews is writing into, uh, runners ran either naked or vastly stripped down. We never did that in high school or college. I was doing it. But they did, honest. Um, you get the idea. No sweats, no heavy shoes, none of that stuff. So it's, this is stuff that you can run the race with this stuff on, but it's going to weigh you down. It's going to make you slower. It's going to make you suffer a little bit more. It's not going to make you do as well. 
It's a helpful category. So what does that mean for us? What's going to weigh us down? Um, and I'm going to, uh, let's, um, let's touch a few uh, sacred uh, things that people are not going to like me for. Um, number one, uh, children's sporting events, uh, music events, whatever it is. Now, if, if your child is in a sporting event, you might uh, figure that uh, he or she are going to be uh, an all-star professional wrestler. I'm sure that's what you're all thinking. No, it's, you're probably thinking football or baseball or basketball or something like that. But, but the reality is probably not. And they probably, they may or may not play that sport as an adult. But we're going to just dive into those things and, and put everything into it. The same thing for all the other categories. It's not that they're wrong or sinful or anything else, but doing them in excess is unhelpful. Um, sometimes our hobbies become a weight. I, I know a, a man who ended up getting a divorce because he was so into uh, his model cars. I mean, it, was, it, was, it sounds crazy, but he was so into model cars, that became his idol, and it actually ruined his marriage. Another man, duck hunting was his thing. Uh, and I don't, the guys are like, why are you picking on the men? But sometimes we may become, I, I tend to be, that's you. Rest and relax. Um, so we could go all day on this list that weighs us down, keeps us from running the, the uh, race of life well, but I want to speak on one other category that is extremely relevant today. It's the category of anxiety, depression, um, just that whole ball that kind of goes there together. Um, and some of us are struggling with that. Uh, it's something that entangles uh, and recently, and as recent as a couple of days ago, my, my wife and I listened to a, a man named, or a man, we actually listened to a woman uh, named Catherine Wolf. Anybody heard of Catherine Wolf or, or read her book? Or, uh, so she, uh, she had some fantastic things to say, and her husband actually went to the place uh, for law school where I went for my undergraduate, Pepperdine University. But Catherine, at age 26, uh, because of a genetic disorder, had a stroke. And half of her body um, stopped responding. She was in a coma for several months. And it just radically changed her life. And this, not long after she had a child. And so everything was turned upside down. And, had, and she, she self-confessedly had to go through some dark days. And what I want to say to you about this, because you can read her book and learn about her, and I encourage you to do so, but um, she talked about um, one of the problems that we have uh, in regard to anxiety and depression is we don't really understand what is good. We don't understand what is good. And she coined this, this uh, word called good hard. And she said, you know, um, what is good is what God declares as good. And just because our lives are hard or uncomfortable doesn't mean that is not good. That maybe this is a part of our story we wish was never part of it. We don't want to go through this difficult time. It's a time of suffering, a time of difficulty, a time, you know. But God's writing that story. And of course, the world is fallen and sinful, uh, and, and that's why we experience a lot of suffering, and we can put it all in that category. But there's another, another way of thinking about it, and it's the fact that God uses diff our difficult circumstances in order for us to receive his comfort that we might, knowing everything that we knew and learning everything that we learned, help comfort other people. And so our story 
goes on and helps another person in their story. And then uh, there's one other thing I'd like to mention uh, from Catherine, and she said, um, sometimes we need to get bossy with our own soul. And uh, Psalm 42.5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Sometimes we have to recognize where we're at, and we need to boss our own soul around. We need to uh, recite words of Scripture that we know are true. We need to listen to some music that helps us to, we need to go for a walk. We need to talk to a friend that, that will encourage us. When we feel like turtling, we need, to, we need to do some things that we don't feel like doing, but we know it's the right thing to do. We might not have even touched. Think about it. What is area of sin? Something that weighs you down is something that's going to trip you up. And I've fallen before and taken a face plant and come up bloody, and it is not nice, especially if you're trying to run as fast as you can. And you just go... Boom, and you fall on the rocks or whatever, and, and, um, but that's what sin does. You know, if you, if you watch a football game, if, if someone's trying to tackle, they go for the legs. They want to wipe the other person out. And so in the race of life, I've seen brothers and sisters fall. It's a grievous thing. It destroys relationships. It causes material harm, sometimes allows the runners of life to wander off lost and in confusion. Maybe you've seen that, or maybe you've been in that spot. Well, we need to get rid of this sin that entangles and ensnares. Sin is morally wrong in the eyes of God. And now I want to share with you something. This comes from a man named Dick Averbeck, and he shared it long ago, and it just always stuck with me. And I want to share with you a pattern that sin follows in pretty much everybody's life. Um, so if you see this, there are seven categories here, and in any given moment, you might be in one of these different categories, or you might be in several different categories on different topics in your life. And so I'm going to walk you through them. The first one is deception, that we are deceived into exchanging the truth for a lie. That shows up all over Scripture, Romans 1 being one place. Um, that we are deceived about the goodness of God, that God has the best for us, that we are deceived into thinking, if only I had this other thing, then I'd be truly satisfied. We're deceived somehow into believing that um, we would be fulfilled or people would think more about us if we did this certain thing. And so it, it, keeps, it makes us um, doubt. It makes us doubt the path we should follow, and it makes us doubt the goodness of God. It makes us doubt that God has the best for us. As in the book of James, it says, you know, do not, not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So we're deceived, we doubt, and if you follow the Garden of Eden, they were deceived by the serpent, they doubted God's goodness, and then they desired what they should not have. And so when deceit and doubt germinate, they germinate into a wrongful desire. Desire is not wrong, but wrongful desire is wrong. There is a certain kind of desire. We desire what we shouldn't have. And so we're askew. And, we, and that thing nags in our minds and our hearts. And, and it might be, you know, even some 
really destructive thing that we desire. We desire to be angry and say bitter things towards other people. Or it could be, you know, we desire to have this thing that we shouldn't have that belongs to somebody else or we, somewhere else's spouse or whatever it is. We desire something we shouldn't have. And then when that germinates, it turns into acting upon that desire and that is in the sin category. It gives birth to sin. Missing the mark, doing what we shouldn't do, and then we're, we've sinned. And we know we've sinned, we've crossed a line we shouldn't have crossed. And that gives birth to some other things, which we'll call shame, fear, and scrambling. We're ashamed of what we've done, and Adam and Eve, they hid from God in the garden. So, I mean, how can you hide from God? They're afraid of the, of the results of their actions. And then this thing called scrambling is a very helpful category. It is customized to you and I. We scramble in different ways. When things go wrong, what do you do? If someone were to look at your life, you probably do the same thing over and over again a lot because we all have a way of managing things when there's fallout. That's scrambling. So if you think about your life now, there may be something, some place you're being deceived or you're doubting or you're desiring what you shouldn't have, some area where you're in conscious sin, or maybe you're feeling shame, fear, or you're acting in a scrambling sort of way as a result of that. But it's a helpful category. We need to jettison this sin that so easily entangles. You're like, well, how do I do that? Well, we're going to go on to this next part, running the race with perseverance set out for us. So we're going to set our vision on Jesus. We are going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now I want to I want to uh, take a little bit of time for those those categories there. So, of course, this is where we want to set our eyes. You might have your eyes set on all sorts of things. And if, if it's in the, the doubt, deceit, desire category, you might have your eyes looking somewhere where they shouldn't be looking, but turn them towards Christ. Now, the reason we read uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is because it describes the immensity of who Christ is. Now, we really don't get how big God is. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's larger than creation. Uh, He created time, time and space, and probably lots of other things that we don't even understand or can't receive because we only have our five senses and our minds to figure things out. But God is huge. God is infinite, and he is infinitely powerful and infinitely knowledgeable. And so when you think about those sort of categories, you're like, If we believe that God is this big, that there is one God, and he knows all things, he's all-powerful, he's infinite, he uh, is past time and space and everything else, then how can we know that God because it's, it's just way too big for us? And the answer is we can know him through Jesus. Jesus is who makes God visible. When God came down in the person of Jesus in order for us to have a relationship with him, And we are to fix our eyes on this person of God, the God-man, Jesus. And here it says, um, 
I, I was so annoyed when the, uh, the, the NIV, uh, you may not get this or not, but you read the old NIV versus the new NIV, and they changed this word, the, the author and, of faith, to pioneer of faith. I'm like, why? Why, why do you change that word? Well, they, they, they thought that this would be a more helpful word to understand this concept of the Greek word, and I, I think it is. I'm still a little annoyed, but I, I try not to be. Um, but this, this idea that a pioneer goes before you, blazes a trail before you so that you can follow. That's what a pioneer does. And so Jesus pioneered the way for us. So not only did God make himself knowable in the person of Jesus, but Jesus pioneered the way. And how did he pioneer the way? Well, it says he's a pioneer and perfecter of faith. This is the end game. And so it describes what this is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He pioneered the way by going to the cross. Like, I don't want to go to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus die? Why did he, and we say he died for our sins. Why did Jesus die for our sins? What does that even mean to us? And here it says that Jesus was a pioneer. Not merely the example, but he made the way possible because what he did is this whole category of entangling sin, the reason we have fear and shame and scrambling, that we can't handle that. One of the worst things in the world is when we realize we've sinned and we feel the shame and fear and we don't know what to do with it. We're like, yes, this really stinks in me. What I did, what I'm thinking, what I'm desiring, everything is, it stinks. I admit it. What do I do? And Jesus went to the cross in order that all that stinky stuff. Now, can you imagine really beaten and crucified on a cross? But Jesus was able to do that for the joy set before him. The joy set before him. It is possible in our darkest moments and the hard times of our lives, it is possible for us to have our eyes on Jesus and have joy, a deep abiding joy, even though objectively things stink and it's difficult. And we're going to walk through that low valley, trusting that God will wipe away our tears, that he will lift us up, and that there is a reason for all of this. The end game of the cross is the joy of God's presence in heaven. And that's what we need to keep in front of us. And so we put our faith in Jesus. We say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. We are following the pioneer of our faith, the high priest that is able to sympathize with our weakness because he went through everything that we went through, and we follow him. And then it says here that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. See those pictures of Jesus on the cross? He's not there anymore. He's seated. He is seated. He sat down. The work is finished. Done. And so if you are desiring what you should not have, if you're doubting God's goodness, if you're being deceived, maybe you're feeling shame, fear, maybe you're scrambling, you can take that and say, I have had my eyes in the wrong place all this time. I need to set them on Jesus, who is the pioneer who made the way for me. 
And therefore, I will endure. Consider him who endured so you can endure. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you want to be encouraged in this race of life, uh, even at the darkest moments, you can set your eyes on Jesus. Maybe your shoelaces are entangled or you even lost your shoe. Maybe you've got some things weighing you down. But we want to set our eyes in the right place. Well, what does that mean on a, on a practical level here? Uh, I know that all of you have time to read Scripture. And I know that all of you have time for prayer. And I know that all of you don't read, read Scripture and pray all the time. Uh, some of you do, some of you don't. And some of you do more than others. And I, it's not for me to judge. But what I would say is this. Um, you have time. You have time to spend with God. If you were trying to make an appointment with an extremely busy, powerful person here on earth, and then they said, you know, when, when do you have available to meet with this person? Or we're going to make a slot for you. And you said, well, I don't know. I, it looks like my schedule's full. I don't, I don't know if I have time. Maybe next Tuesday, you know. God is more powerful, more important than anyone on earth. Why can't we free up our schedule for him? And I'll tell you, my, my prayer time, I was thinking about this. I'm not good on my knees. I, I, uh, I start to fall asleep a little bit. I, I still pray on my knees sometimes, uh, especially before bed. But my best time, I found, is writing out my prayers or going to other way and thing. I mean, you look cards and you said, I'm going to memorize this thing. Let it work deep with and help you and help you in your faith. So I would say, yeah, let's, let's, let's prioritize it. Let's set our eyes on Jesus. And then let's identify honestly where we're at. Is there something that I'm desiring I shouldn't be desiring or some way I've been deceived I shouldn't be deceived or, some, or maybe I just like feel like crud because I'm in shame. And Jesus died for all of those things so that we don't have to stay in that place. Well, the race is not an easy one. It's uh, more of a tough mutter than a casual sprint through the grass. Um, it's a race with obstacles where we need to keep our eyes on the prize. And Jesus ran the race first. He is our example and the one who made it possible for us to run. And he was willing to run because he had his eyes set on the joy set before him. So how are you doing in the area of faith and hope? And if you think about this, what has just been said, is there something you can take away to be encouraged in your faith and hope? Faith is a confidence, right? It's the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. How can that grow? It can grow by letting loose the things we need to let loose and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, faith gives us the courage to persevere because we have our eyes on the right treasure. And we run the race well, to run the race well, we must keep our eyes from being entangled, and our, or our hearts from being entangled, and our eyes on Jesus. We need to close your eyes for just a minute. Close with this. Imagine whatever brings you the most comfort, the greatest security, passionate joy. Take a minute. 
What are you living for? What are your struggles? Where have you placed your hope? Whatever we love and long for here on earth points to something better. Comfort, security, and earthly joy are short-lived. We enjoy them for a time, then they're gone. But God has given us greater comfort, security, and joy through Jesus. Christ is a better messenger than anyone you've ever known, a better message than any you've received. He's a message that comforts even when all other comfort is gone. Jesus is better than any angel or heavenly power, and the security he provides is greater than any protection we could have on earth or in heaven. God has made himself known through what he has made and how he has worked through history and through scripture. In the past, God spoke through prophets, promised people a land where they could find joy and rest from their weary wandering. But Jesus is better than the saints of the past. He offers a better promise, a better land, For those who seek him will find rest for their souls in incomparable joy. Christ intercedes for us. He has made the ultimate sacrifice for us and given us the most amazing promise and the brightest future. So why wouldn't we follow? Why wouldn't we place our hope in Jesus and endure the struggle of this world with hope? Whatever we have been living for, whatever our struggles, wherever we placed our hope, whatever we love or long for here on earth points to something better in Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you are a God who loves us and you called us to love others. Thank you for the hope set before us. Whatever struggles we might endure, whatever struggles any of us might be going through, that Jesus is a strong enough promise and a steadfast hope that we can endure with joy. In his name we pray. Amen.